It was a warm spring day, unlike today, when Doris Bray and her husband were driving with their grandson, whose name was Luke. He was four. And they were driving through a wooded area. And the little boy says, I feel like I'm in Eden. The grandparents, of course, were very impressed that he has heard about Eden, but his grandmother says, Eden? He says, don't you know about Eden? She said, why don't you tell me? And so he tells her that there were lots of trees in the Garden of Eden, and in the, midst of the, in the middle of the garden, there was a big fruit tree. And God told Adam and Eve not to pick the fruit from that tree. But then a snake came along, and the snake said, it's okay, you can eat from that tree. And they did. Then Luke said, I would never listen to a snake. I would listen to God. Grandma, why would anyone listen to a snake? Well, Grandma, older and wiser, thought to herself about how many times she had ignored God and listened to a snake instead. Traditions surrounding that story from the Garden of Eden tell us that snakes deceive. Snakes deceive. So imagine if I started my sermon addressing you, you brood of vipers. (laughs) There's John. Well, a few of you would get out, get up and walk out on me. Well, see, (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Didn't mean to embarrass you. So while a few would get up and walk out, most of you would just change the channel in your head to say, let's see, where are the Redskins playing today? (laughs) Or what time do I need to preheat the oven? Uh, Your mind would start going, you brood of vipers. So really, it's kind of amazing that people were actually, actually stayed around to listen further to John after he addressed them in such a way. Now, he's not just calling them names. One commentary said it this way, that the people, that John is confronting the people with the danger of self-deception. Snakes are deceivers, right? So John's confronting the people with the danger of self-deception. And since humans can be sneaky as a snake... It's possible that they can present themselves for baptism merely as if they were taking out an insurance policy. If I get baptized, I'll be insured against the wrath to come. Baptism will save me from God's judgment in the last days. And John had some words of judgment, didn't he? I won't have to live my life differently after all. Since I'm a member of the church, I can eat and drink to excess. And if I die tomorrow, well, I've been baptized, so I'm saved. All is well. This is John's idea of self-deception. And his message of judgment invites us to recognize and then trample self-deception. There are times in our lives for all of us when we get to a place where we don't like it. We don't like 
where we are. We don't like what we're doing or we don't like who we have become. All of us do. We're snapping at everyone we love because we're unhappy. Maybe we've broken a vow. Maybe we've hurt someone and we need to apologize, but we don't know what to say. Maybe we're depressed and we don't understand why. We get to these places where it's time to stop. Now, Brian calls this my new microphone that I'm having trouble with today. My rock and roll girl mic. You see it right here? So when I was thinking about this, you know, stop, I felt like I should be like Mick Jagger, you know, stop. And look around. Here it comes. Okay, I'll stop that. But stop, stop, and look around. We need to be still, don't we? Especially at this season. We need to take time to be still, be quiet, look around, and ask some of those questions that we haven't asked in a long, long time. Now, that's what these people were doing in the crowds who came out to the wilderness to be baptized by John. They were asking him questions. They were hearing his words of judgment and realizing that they weren't in a place where they wanted to be. What then should we do? They asked him. What then should we do? There were some of that brood who cared enough to still be listening. What then should we do? They're tired of self-deception. They're tired of lying to themselves and others. They desperately desire the release that true repentance creates. What then should we do? We don't know what to do. John points them and his responses towards compassion and equity. If you have two coats, what? Give one away. Somebody's cold. If you typically throw away food after a meal, request and eat smaller portions. So more will be available for those whose tummies growl daily. We have compassion and abundance during November and December, but I think John would encourage us to be as generous the other 10 months of the year. So we have the crowd asking John, what then should we do? And then the story tells us that there are two other groups who ask specifically, the tax collectors and then the soldiers come to Jesus, well, we, what then should we do? What does this mean for me as a tax collector or me as a soldier or me as whoever you are? And John tells them to be satisfied. To the tax collectors, don't take more money than you're supposed to, as you typically do. To the soldiers, don't extort money with the power you are given by your job. Be satisfied with what you have. 
Now that is hard to hear this time of year when merchandisers really, really, really want us to want more stuff. And our family and friends are asking us, what do you want for Christmas? And retailers want us to think, it's all about you and what you want. Now, it's their livelihood, so we can't really blame them for using every opportunity to encourage us to want more. So it's up to us to say enough. I'm satisfied with what I have. There's a constant tension in Christianity. I feel it. I don't know if you do. It's a tension between grace on one side and repentance on the other. Now that grace is God saying to us, I love you. I accept you just the way you are. You don't have to change a thing for me to love you. And then there's repentance. And that's a, a response to God's grace that makes us want to continue to reach toward our potential. So I want to think about this church for a moment and wonder with you what would happen or what happens when Calvary Baptist Church asks God, what then should we do? God, you have given us 115 years of rich life and rich fellowship and worship and good works. What then should we do? Thank you. Well, we try to do that. Worship you. Well, we try to do that, too. How do we respond to such grace as a church? Where are we deceiving ourselves? Really, God, we're willing, but we're not able. Or... Are we making excuses? Are we able and not willing? We want to repent. We want to reach our potential. We just don't know how. What then should we do? We're used to having things done for us. We're in a place where we're not quite comfortable and we need to stop and ask those questions. What needs to change? Let's talk about it. And then let's talk about it some more. And, and then let's talk about it some more. And let's talk about it some more. That way it feels like we're actually doing something. But what changes? What then should we do? What then should we do? Reach out to the hundreds in our neighborhood who only know the church as a place of scandal and judgment? Maybe. Then do it. Reach out to the arts community with a gallery in the lower auditorium? 
then do it. Provide a smoke-free place to eat in Old Southwest. Open up our dining room. Then do it. Let's stop talking about changes or making excuses or, or lamenting and dream. Dream for our church. Dream for yourself. Dream about need, meeting the needs of people beyond these walls. What do we need to stop doing for ourselves, church, so that we can proclaim the good news to the crowds, as John did? Dream about the difference we could make in this community. We can make Calvary an even greater church. Many of you saw the sanctuary full when the American Boy Choir was here a few weeks ago and have commented about how wonderful that was. Well, I'm not expecting that 800-seat sanctuary to be full every Sunday. That's not the trend of at least 80% of churches these days. But what is within our power is touching that many lives on a regular basis. With the help of John the Baptist, we are waiting for Jesus Christ. We are waiting for him to be reborn in our spirits. We are waiting for the hope and the grace that he brings. We are waiting for his courage and strength. We are waiting for him to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We are waiting for Jesus. And in this strange place where we are in history, we're waiting for Jesus on one hand, and at the same time, we know that he's already come. He's already with us. Jesus is here. Are we willing but not able to follow him? Or are we able but not willing? What then should we do? Allow this concluding parable to help you begin thinking about the hopeful future of this church and the hopeful future of you. There was a house servant, and he had two pots. And every day, he would descend to the river with a pole carrying the two pots, one on either end. And he would fill them with water, and then he would turn around, and he would carry them back up the hill to his master's house. One of the pots, the one on the right, had a crack in it. At the end of the long walk up from the stream to the master's house, the cracked pot arrived only half full. The other pot was perfect and delivered its full Pot full of water, its full portion. For two years, the servant delivered each day only one and a half pots full of water to his master's house. The perfect pot was proud of his accomplishments. Every day, he carried that water and he carried it well and strongly all the way up to his master's house. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection. And it was miserable over accomplishing only half 
of what it had been created to do. After two years of what it perceived to be bitter failure, the cracked pot spoke to the servant one day. By the stream, it said, I'm ashamed of myself and I want to apologize to you. The bearer asked, what are you ashamed of? For these past two years, I have been able to deliver only half my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way to your master's house. Because of my flaws, you don't get full value for your work. The servant said to the pot, as we return to the master's house today, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. And as they went up the hill, the cracked pot noticed those beautiful wild flowers on the side of the path. And when, re- when they reached the house, the servant said to the pot, did you notice that the flowers only grew on your side of the path and not on the other pot's side? That's because I have always known about your flaw. And I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walk back from the stream, you've watered them. For two years, I have been able to pick beautiful flowers to adorn my master's table. Let's pray. Settle our spirits, O God. Help us to rejoice in your love for us. Help us to see you wherever we look. Help us to be ready for you and to work for you in the whatever cracked ways we can do those things. What then should we do, O God? Guide us through Jesus, the one who is to come and the one who is with us now. We pray in his name. Amen.